Hello, America. This here's your host, the Red Baron of Boots on the Street podcast. I hope everyone is having a great day. Matter of fact, let me phrase that. It's actually 1.31 in the morning. It's Tuesday, September 10th. It's the Red Baron's birthday. Turn the big 4-0. That's right. Got a fresh haircut. Um, feeling good. Today I'm going to probably go out and play a little golf. Take care of a little few minor errands and just sit back and relax and enjoy myself. I'm not looking to be out and all that stuff and everything, you know. Uh, nah, my uh, I'm just about getting some business done. I got a lot of big things in my bucket list that I'm focused on. And I advise you guys to get a bucket list too. And if you don't know what a bucket list is, it's things that you want to achieve in your life before a certain time or before you die. But with me, I'm not focused on dying uh, I have a monthly bucket list. I usually set a monthly bucket list and a one-year bucket list and a five-year bucket list. That's how I tend to set goals for myself or maybe two-month bucket list. Just a bucket list. Like One of my things is I want to go, go to an orchestra this month. I used to play the violin and I'm going to attend an orchestra. I love classical music. I love good classical music. Matter of fact, I used to date this uh, girl named Danielle Squire. She played the cello. Uh, amazing cello player. Amazing. Back in Rand Paul High School. Shout out to Daniel Squire, wherever you're at, by the way. I think you were in Charlotte last time I checked. I haven't seen her since high school. Amazing person. Uh, very influential in my life. Um, helped motivate me in various ways. Her and um, Leslie Moore. Very, very influential women in my life. Pardon me, that helped got me where I And when you reach these stages in life, sometimes it's good to reflect on those that help uplift you and bring you up, like, and put you to that next level. Because there are a lot of people you come across, they just focus on tearing you down and tarnishing your image. And you got to be careful of those people because they usually have a low self-esteem and that's why they try to tear you down. Hmm. At 40... Everyone, whether you're man or woman, you have to take care of your health. Your health should be one of your top priorities. You cannot enjoy cruises and trips and things if you don't take care of your health. Be active as much as possible. Be active. Yeah, I have some military injuries and stuff, but I'm, I'm out there trying to be active as much as possible. I watch what I eat. I don't eat greasy foods. I don't eat past a certain time. I make sure I'm working out, uh, trying to stay fit. I have all my hair on my head. Uh, thank God for that. So... Be healthy. Take care of yourself. You should take care of yourself before you get to 40. I mean, I took care of myself before my 40s, and that's why I don't look like I'm 40 right now. So if you look at me, you wouldn't think that I'm 40. But as the old saying goes, good black don't crack and good babes don't age. Now, let's get into tonight's topic. Do the black elite or the black upper middle class have a responsibility to the rest of the black community. And what does that responsibility look like? Hmm? I have even a bigger question. Who are the black elite? What is the definition of the black elite? And this is a very... Well, 
there's another topic we'll go on later about the black elite. But tonight, do they have a responsibility to the lower class? And I, I think, just me, thinking out there, to a degree, they might have a responsibility. And why I say to a degree, because I still believe people are responsible for making their own decisions. And you can't fight for someone else that won't fight for themselves. You can't do for someone else that won't do for themselves. Now, if you're talking about helping someone and uplifting them and pulling them up when they're down or possibly open doors or opportunity for them that didn't exist, that's different. Yes, I think that uh, our black community and our black uh, upper middle class or black upper class should come back and open some doors for those that's coming up because the reality is in the black community, a lot of us don't come from old money. That's a fact. A lot of us don't come from old money. A lot of people that go to college, they're first generation. Uh, I'm fortunate enough, my grand aunt toured at Morris Brown. My uncle toured at Howard University as an art professor. My grandparents own their own farming company, 200 acres of land, which we still own to this day. So they wasn't wealthy, wealthy, but they worked for themselves. And we had more things than the average black person had in our community. And what my grandparents did in life and my great grandfather did open up doors eventually for my mom and them, which opened up doors for my sister and I. So to a degree, we do have a responsibility. Uh, I grew up middle class. I wasn't lower class. I just grew up a middle class black kid in New York in the suburbs. And I was fortunate enough when I got to Rampole High School that I met blacks that was uh, well-to-do, young and old, middle class and upper middle class, uh, that was in positions where they could open up windows of opportunity for me or they exposed me to different cultural aspects that I might have been missing. And one of the biggest things that I love the most, because when people meet me, they automatically assume that I grew up around a lot of wealthy white people. And that's not true. I grew up around middle class whites and upper middle class whites in Ramapo High School. But for the most part, my day to day interaction with white people I grew up with was working class whites. The blacks that I grew up with was more educated than the white people that I was around. You know, I grew up with uh, the, the Zuber family. Holly Zuber and them. Uh, they were bankers and, and, and high-end counselors and stuff. Um, I say uh, Daniel Squire. I remember her father was a journalist for Time Magazine. Her mom was vice president of Texaco Corporation. And those were just her parents to her. But to me, where I was at, I was an honor in APA classes and I was striving. I was like, I got to get to this place one day in life where they're at. I don't know what their journey was like, their ups and downs, but I just knew this, this is the type of black people I wanted to be like. These are the type of black people I wanted to marry into. Even Mr. Highlegger, he has a PhD, he was a principal in the Bronx. And he had locks at the time. And I thought that was like, oh my God, this black man has locks and he, you know, he has his doctor degree and he's smart. He's a, a, a musician on top of that. This is somebody I wanted to be like. So I grew up around a lot of influential black people that sat down. And sometimes when we talk about uplifting people, 
it's not even about necessarily open an actual door of opportunity. It could be conversations, mentoring. I had conversations with Mr. Highlager that he one thing he taught me was don't chase the money. Do what you like and the money will come. It was Danielle Squires that introduced me to the Republican Party. She was the first black Republican person I had met. And I was blown away, even though people around post say she was a sellout, but I didn't think she was a sellout because I'm like, hell, I have conservative views and Republican views too, which later on, I just fully embraced the whole thing. And that's due to her, actually. So thank you once again, Danielle out there. You know, um, you made a difference in someone's life. And I remember watching, I think, was it CNN with her at her house? At one time, and she picked up the phone, she would call her mom and talking about politics and what was going on. She was just so excited. And, you know, when you're young, you have political views, but that was like my introduction to really meeting someone that's black that was like really into politics. And she opened that window of opportunity for me to get into politics, to learn about it, and to get into it. So do the upper middle class have a responsibility? Yes, once again, to a degree. Because see, all these people that inspired me, influenced me to be better, and try different things and aim higher in education, from my family members to, you know, the Squire family to the Highlager family, all these people... My mentor, Ron Bordeaux, all these people, Dr. Stella Moore at the Martin Luther King Center, all these people, yeah, they gave me words of encouragement. They opened windows of opportunity for me. But that was because I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. I used to fantasize about it day and night. One day, I'm going to be this type of black man in America and I'm going to have this type of family and stuff and you know I'm going to be in the politics I dreamt about that I wanted to be someone totally different than where I was at right there in my life and it even affected the way I dress I used to wear khakis and sweaters with turtlenecks or collar short collar you know to some people they say preppy but I was very casual dress shoes and stuff in school because all the black men that I saw and I want to be like, dressed like that. Not even just black men, men of success, period. Because I was influenced by many white males too, period. To this day, my wife don't understand. She's from a rural country town, but she don't understand why I dress the way I dress or why I act the way I act. Some sometime and people say, Well, you've been married, she should understand it. Yeah, but she don't I don't you know she don't have the backstory on me so much. Like still to this day I wear khakis. And I don't care too much for urban wear. I bought a few urban pieces, but that's because you know I wanna have some down clothes if I have to go out around, you know, your homies or wear this and that. But the majority of my stuff is slip-on penny loafer shoes or hush puppies. Or wingtip shoes and khakis and blazers and stuff like that. That's who I am. Even how I wear my hair cut right now. Because those are the businessmen that influenced me. I 
think sometime the upper middle class distanced themselves from the black community and not because of their fault. A lot of people usually think that black elites looking down on everyone else and a lot of black people don't want to hear that upper middle class have social organizations that we belong to that's full of us. Yes, like fraternities. Oh, God, you start mentioning fraternity around people that didn't go to college, they get pissed off. Those are legal gangs. They are, you're just buying friends, but they don't understand about the networking, the business, the leadership skills that they teach, how they encourage people to do better. They, they increase people's self-esteem. Yeah, there's some bad aspects to fraternity, but they're bad aspects to going to church, especially if the church is cult-like, you know? So you have to look at the positive in things. And with all due respect, if someone asks me about what fraternities are about or how can I get in one, I give them that information. But I really don't share too much about my fraternity stuff to people that didn't go to college. And no disrespect to them because they have this perception about it. And sometimes that's when the wall is created by black upper class. They don't want to go back down. I remember my professor at South Carolina State University said to me one time, all communities are not our community. And she's not lying because I'd be one of those people like, we got to go in the community and we got to uplift the people in the hood and we got to do this and that and blah, 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 blah. But sometimes we go into those communities and it'll be our own people that deny us, call us sellout, send us running back, belittle our children, For how they talk. Tell us that we think we're better than them because we're educated. That creates a wall that hinder us from networking with each other. And we're the only race that does that. Because you never see the Indians from India belittle each other. You never see... um, You don't even see that with Caribbean blacks either. But you never see that with Hispanics either. Like They're proud of the success of their people. But with black people, I was—I remember my mother telling me, don't tell people all the time that you went to college or, or don't tell people all your success. Well, why are we the only ones that's the shame of our success? And we're supposed to whisper about it. And everybody else put neon lights with a finger pointing at their accomplishments of their race. See, this is a psychological problem that we have in our community. Black upper middle class people want to go back and help, or well-to-do blacks, they do want to go back and help out. But also, in fairness, a lot of the black community accepted this ratchet behavior in 2019 that did not exist back in 1995. Like, you got... Our people just got some real ratchet ways about themselves. You know, a lot of males adopted uh, gang culture. We run this shit. Crenshaw, Crip, blood, da 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 Throwing up their street signs. Y'all don't even own the houses on those streets. You, you, you make it difficult for us to network and come back and take the kid that's in a less advantaged situation and say, hey, let me put you under my wing and mentor you and show you how black bankers move or how XYZ move. It, it's like the guy that ran up on me in, in CJ's. Because of my education, who I am. 
and how I carried myself, that was a problem for him. He felt, it's always, it's the funniest thing. It's like, how did that lower class blacks think that they define what blackness is, but a lot of them can't even leave the neighborhood which they live in to experience other cultures that might appreciate their blackness? Yes, the black upper middle class could be doing a little bit more, but at the same time, in fairness, the rest of the black community has to be receptive to receiving the help that is being offered. It's a two-way street here. We have to get this notion out of our head that being educated and acting white or whatever that is, that's stupid. That's an insult. That's like saying only uh, white people could be educated. I try to help out as much as I can. I'm I'm no by any shapes of mean. I am not black upper middle class. I'm striving to get there. I would love to get there. That's on my bucket list. I was just like, ah, I arrived. However that looks, I arrived. But um, we have to do better. And I try to help where I can. You know, especially with talking to younger black teenagers about college military and so forth and the port I tell black people all the time I, said, I, I work with a girl I told her I said look you cannot move around this society unless you have some type of paper underneath your belt don't let your friends and family member fool you You, I said you would be stuck in low paying and low rank jobs you better have something from the technical college or community college some type of diploma or certification or training or something. You don't have to necessarily go for a four-year degree. You could be a, a x-ray technician in two and a half years. You could go in HVAC. And if you don't want to go to college, learn HVAC technician like my brother did and make over $25, $27 an hour in Georgia. There's other avenues of generating wealth. But the thing is, you have to either have a degree or a skilled trade or something underneath your belt. Military, something underneath your belt. You cannot just be running around here butt naked working at a gas station. Especially when you're talking about bringing children into this world. Once again, how did I get to where I was at? Is because when people stuck their hand out to help me, I was open to receive it. And they saw that I was trying to better myself. Problem is, when we go back and try to help, when we go back out there and we try to help people in our community and they don't want any help, they're comfortable with settling, relying on the system, relying on food stamps, having a bunch of babies out of wedlock, running home to mommy and daddy and just living with them and not living to their fullest potential in life. Especially if their mother didn't live to their fullest potential. Because most of the time when you see someone living like that, you don't have to look too far down the family tree to see where that mentality come from. Should we uh, should we build more organizations to help disenfranchise people out? Yeah, I think uh, see the black community is unique. We cannot have this island mentality either. And yes, there are people in the black upper middle class that have this island mentality. Not all of them, because a lot of people do good things for the community. Yeah, they don't put their name all over it, but behind the scenes, they do a lot of good things. But we cannot have an island mentality, because as a race, regardless of how high you look the ladder, you're still black. And you're still treated with 
like people when you walk into a room, people don't care if you're wearing a pair of Nordica khakis or LL Bean khakis or Ralph Lauren khakis or you wearing a pair of City Trend pants. Depending on where you're at, people don't care because they still see that you're black. And if they think wherever they how they feel about black or where they prejudice is against black people, they're gonna treat you the same regardless. Of course, those environments and people you shouldn't want to deal with. But what I'm talking about is no matter how far you move the ladder, social economic wise, it don't erase your blackness. Matter of fact, I think it makes you even blacker because the further you get up the ladder, the less you see of us. But we should we should we should build more grant organizations and community organizations that teach our young black males at an early age how to tie a tie. Teach them how to wear uh, the proper clothes for job interview. Teach them um, business skills, fundamental business skills, how to open up a checking and savings account, how to manage their funds. Teach our children about credit scores at an early age. All of us done took some bumps and bruises in the credit world, but that's something we don't even discuss. We could get more people into the upper middle class bracket if we start making better decisions. Encourage our kids to go to college or to the military or learn a skilled trade. And parents, if you didn't do any of this, I'm talking about those that are disenfranchised. Don't sit there and say, well, I didn't do it. You ain't got to do it either. Encourage your kids to be better. That's the goal of us to be better than the next generation. Encourage them to be better. People say, well, why can't we invite our kids to Jack and Jill? Or why can't we invite our kids to do X, Y, Z? Uh, what's wrong with our kids? Because we don't make the same amount of money. Y'all. No, that's not, the, that's not what anyone's saying. No, that's not what anyone's saying at all, matter of fact. But sometimes when you reach a certain social economic status or a certain economic bracket, you have to have a buffer zone between you and other people. And people say, that's messed up for you to say that. But it's the truth. I treat everybody fairly. But like I said, I can't go into every community because I'm not well received because of who I am, what my political affiliation is, what my educational background is, the way I talk. You got guys in the hood. Fuck him. I hate niggas like that. Because they're so closed-minded and sheltered, they think all black people should have criminal records, pants hanging off their butt, dreaded out, uh... And so forth. Ten baby mamas. That's where we at as a people. And once again, those mentalities make it difficult for the black upper middle class to come back and help. But I'm telling the black upper middle class, don't give up. Because you might get burned by one family or one community. Don't give up. But what we do, what we have to do is create organizations that say, all right, we're we're designed to take off our hats, roll up our sleeves, and go back into these communities and mentor the kids that want to be mentored. Teach them, you know, uh, take them on black college campuses. Let them meet black entrepreneurs and professors and people in sorority fraternities that are doing positive things on campus so they can see that the people that might even come from the same community they come from and they're living their lives and then being the best person they could be in society. That's what we need. We don't need a society of people just giving up on themselves and want to rely on this government system, which is dangerous in this day and age. 
This government could shut down at any time. And if you rely on this government to feed your children, I highly encourage you to step your game up. If Hey, look, if you're working in retail, try to get a management position. Or go back to a trade school and get an associate degree or a diploma in business management or something. Do something. Get some paper underneath your belt. And by any shape of me, I don't condone any black elite that look down on people that's lower than them. Because like I said, we're a special community. We don't have old money like white people do. So most time you meet black elites or black upper middle class, that money been around maybe for like the last 150 years or the last 100 years or it could be the last 80 years probably new money so I'm not advocating looking down on anyone I want to see us go back and help those that want the help and like I said it don't have to be well let me get you a job it could be talking to somebody once or twice a month with words of encouragement, exposing them to other opportunities that might exist for them to get them thinking in a more positive and progressive and healthy way. That's giving back. Not necessarily buying somebody a pair of shoes and all that. That's great too. But there are various ways that we could be giving back. We have to remember... When one part of our community hurt, we all hurt. Because today it might be someone else's child and tomorrow it could be your child. So we have to look out for our community to an extent. Because I'm not going to help anyone that's smacking my hand away. Or try to belittle me for who I am. And what I accomplish in life. I just want to see us come together and form a hub where we start uplifting our race because our most successful people in our community come from humble backgrounds and they became some of the most influential individuals in our communities. Everybody could be rehabilitated if they want to be rehabilitated. You don't have to stay. And if you listen to my show right now and you're not where you want to be at and you're like, man, one day I hope to be upper class or upper middle class, don't give up. Keep on pushing. That's how you get there. You cannot give up. Don't get distracted. Start networking, finding organizations with other working uh, black professionals and attend those functions and start networking and meeting people. That's how you move up the ladder. But also don't forget about the people at the bottom of the ladder. What good does it for a king to have all the profit in the world and everyone else around him is peasants? Well, I'm your host of the Red Baron of Boots on the Street podcast. This was just one of my thoughts today, you know, uh, on the black upper middle class and black elite. Um, are they obligated to help the community out? And I feel like to a degree, but at the same time, you have to want it. You have to want it. You can follow me on Facebook under Red Baron Podcaster. You can follow me on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio, uh, Radio Republic, 
Google Podcasts. I'm on all those podcast shows. This here is Boots on the Street Podcast. Have a good night, America.